Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. As technology continues to evolve at a rapid pace, the ability to protect these technologies from cyber attacks is more critical than ever. From artificial intelligence and cryptocurrency to the nation's infrastructure, targets for sophisticated cyber attackers are only multiplying. Mark Baggage sits down with Al Mater and Greta Joins to discuss how the federal government has approached cybersecurity in the past and shed light on potential solutions and probable pitfalls going forward. Hi, this is Mark Baggage. I am back with another podcast with the Brownstein team. Today, I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Al Mater and Greta Joins, and we're here to discuss cybersecurity. Now, you know, cybersecurity can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but I guess, Greta, why don't you uh, start off, maybe if you don't mind, you know, when people think of cybersecurity, what they think about is immediately something getting hacked. And uh, But it's a lot broader than that, and it has a lot of other issues. Can you kind of give us a setting? What, what does this all mean? And then I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the threats and what we should be thinking about. Sure. I mean... I- you know, I always tell people that that cybersecurity at this stage in the game, you know, in 2020, is really just security. I mean, every almost everything is connected to the internet in some way or form. And as technology advances, I mean, the definition of cyber is going to advance as well. As we look at different technologies becoming more important and standard across, you know, the realm of how we use things. Um, I think that that definition can change. So it's it's an evolving um, issue. Um, it's it's fun to work on, but it's also increasingly <laughs> problematic. For, for and that and a growing reason. issue in Congress. Absolutely, I think um, what what can be difficult when when you talk about cyber on Capitol Hill is that you have a very different standard of understanding among different <laughs> members of Congress. You know. When you have someone like Will Hurd from Texas who has a cybersecurity background, obviously his level of understanding about threats and um, assessments on, you know, where the government is and and where we need to be going are going to be very different from there. You know, there are still members who, you know, don't use email. right? (laughs) So, you know, there I I think some members just have a flip phone. Right. There are (laughs) some members of leadership. Right. That's that's it. No Um, texting. So I I think that. makes it very difficult to educate um, congressional leaders on the various threats that that cyber has. And also, you know, I think what is problematic is that, you know, technology always moves faster than we can legislate. So how do you properly educate Congress on not only what the threat is today, but what the threat is going to be in 10 years and quantify that in a way where they can understand it. And we have, I guess, Al, when we think about this, new technologies, what's kind of uh, open to cyber attacks, and you think of cryptocurrency as an example, uh, blockchain, a lot of new technologies are emerging, and all of that has some impact and cost to the system. Uh, give me uh, some thoughts on what, you know, again, it's this broader sweep of what uh, cybersecurity is about, but here's some things that are really happening that people may not see, but do impact them. Yeah, uh, you mentioned cryptocurrency, which is definitely a real target. About eight months ago, hackers stole over $30 million in Bitcoin from one of the world's largest digital coin exchanges. These exchanges are deemed trustworthy. Right. But if they're not, if 
thirty million dollars can be taken out of it in a, in the wink of an eye. There was a company, uh, CipherTrace, which is a blockchain security company that released a report recently finding that criminals in the cyberspace have netted over four billion dollars um, in the last uh, year alone from users and exchanges and currency investors. Let me repeat that, just so people hear. That's four plus billion dollars. That's real. It's absolutely real. I mean, if you think about. One Bitcoin is worth about $8,000 as of this uh, taping, <laughs> um, and there are millions of those. And then there are infinite, almost infinite numbers of other cryptocurrencies out there that have some worth on these markets. Uh, and people are very blithe with their security and trusting in the platforms on which they store their money, which brings me back to Greta's point that while – Members of Congress tend to be less educated on these issues in terms of the granularity of the threat. There's increasingly an awareness, not just among them, but among everyone in America, about threats to our security, whether it's your phone that you think is off, all of a sudden ads are popping up based on a conversation you had. Well, how is that happening? And so that's not necessarily cybersecurity per se, but there's a much broader awareness among the American public right now, even if among tech neophytes and folks who are naive that everything is more susceptible to hacking and penetrating and that privacy is much less sacred than it used to be. And so I do think that that presents an opportunity um, for those who are seeking to engage on these policies to grab members, even though they may not understand the depth of the policy that needs to be affected, to get them engaged and and help educate them. Well, even – and I'll throw this out to Greta. I mean when you think about it, when you're when I'm talking to members, and I know we here in Brownstein, we have a lot of clients that cybersecurity, may they be a small firm, small company to a large company or an association, cybersecurity kind of is always comes up in some form. Even though it may not be on their issue list, it's a, becoming a concern. Now you have, for example, which a lot of members are now aware of this whole growing industry within the drone community, you know, with new drones and uh, unmanned aircraft. Uh, that you don't think about, can that, is that a cybersecurity risk? And I guess simple answer is probably yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's something that our firm has been working on um, a lot in 2019 and going into 2020 is, you know, we represent the American Drone Alliance, which is a group of um, small U.S.-based uh, drone manufacturers. And we have been um, working against some of the efforts by a Chinese manufacturer whom is, you know, very invested in in the U.S. market. And, you know, Homeland's assessment and um, many within the federal government's assessment is that these devices are actively being hacked by by the Chinese and used to gather intelligence about not only imagery um, here in the U.S., but also, you know, mapping, right? Like where drones are flying, how they're being used. And all of these are questions, I think, that... Uh, you know, like I said before, as technology becomes, you know, a standard, right? Like I think most people out there would believe that drones are going to be a normal part of everyday life in the next 15 years. We're going to have drone delivery. We're, you know, Al and I were just at CES. There were drone taxis there that Uber is, you know, purchasing from Hyundai. So, you know, I I think that almost every new technology, as as it comes to the market, there is a cybersecurity threat around it. If it connects to something. If it connects to wireless something. Wireless something. They, and that's what's, you know, Al, like I said, Al and I were at CES. That was the main thing. Everything's connected to something else. The other thing I would just And CES, my, for folks, is a consumer electronics show. Yes. And, yes. Yeah, just 
just to layer onto what Greta's saying, is that not only does it connect do these things connect to everything, of course, which suggests access and danger and risk mm-hmm. in terms of security, but they are increasingly uncontrolled by humans. So in other words, a, artificial intelligence continues to become more and more prevalent with respect to these technologies. So imagine when we were kids, Mark, you would have a remote control rocket that you could throw in the sky, right. but it, you had a little remote control and only you could make it go up or down That's or left right. and right. Now, these drones that fly to much greater heights and over greater distances and can record mm-hmm. and take and be pictures out of sight line. and measure things like temperature and the like and be out of sight line are piloted entirely by artificial intelligence and perhaps linked to some monitor somewhere. Right. So what does artificial intelligence do? It tells it where to go, what to do, but also how to react to things. And artificial intelligence can have biases, as Greta and I were talking just the other day. Yeah, I think that, for for example, you know, and we, we were talking about, you know, um, Senator, about the dangers with, with an AI and, you know, algorithmic type of intelligence. It, it's things like that and these biases that, you know, I think we as actual humans, you know, work every day to try and overcome. Right. Artificial intelligence will just absorb those and then promulgate those out um, and and maximize the, the stretch of that, which is kind of crazy to think about. And if you can have the technology to hack into the algorithms that are being pumped into these, you could manipulate outcomes. Absolutely. Which is, which is again, another way of saying cybersecurity is not just your phone. It's not just your computer. It is broader than that. It may be the inputs that are going into things that determine outcomes, meaning employment, credit ratings, acceptance to college. Right. You pick the list, right? That AI, artificial intelligence, is impacting now. And will I think none of us disagree with this statement that over time will impact more of our lives than ever before. Are there other, you know, when I think about this, and you've read, read some articles of infrastructure and the potential threat, electrical grid as an example, or I think we talked, you know, toll roads or whatever that might be, are these realistic threats? Are they realistic by just individuals or could these be strategies that foreign governments who are adversaries to the U.S. might use? Um, Any thought there? Sure. I mean, a couple thoughts. These are not um, illusory concepts or hypothetical problems. These threats are real and could occur in reality. And there are numerous countries around the world that would like the United States to be less stable, less financially secure, less successful, less politically stable. You've already seen um, unequivocal assessment by our intelligence community that the country of Russia was trying to influence our elections and continues to try to influence discourse in this country right now. Mm -hmm. That's a form of cybersecurity because they are using the internet and social media and it's warfare in a different way. Mm -hmm. There are multiple countries that could disrupt our electric grid with an attack. Now, there's a deterrence factor there, just like there was during the Cold War, because they know that we would know they did it and that we would probably respond disproportionately. But they can nonetheless do it. And that's a great concern that our infrastructure is at such a great risk. And no country in the world has as great infrastructure as the United States. And yet it's unfortunately uh, at fairly significant risk. Is there – and I guess for um, – Greta, is there is – there, you know, as this is happening – is there a concern that if you're a small company, it's not a big deal? 
because this seems to be the big guys get it. You know, the Sonys, for example, and these bigger companies get tagged. But is the mom and pop at risk here? Is there small companies that might have, you know, I think, you know, few employees here and there, but are they at risk for these kind of cyber attacks that may be not necessarily government-driven, but individual-driven, the ransomware that now seems to be, you know, if you don't buy ransomware, then you're somehow out of the loop and in trouble. Is that... I I think that the majority of hacking incidents are probably companies or businesses like that, Mm -hmm. where you get um, you know, let's say I owned a small retail store and, um, you know, we had a hacker come in through, you know, an unsecured printer, right? right. Wireless printer. Mm-hmm. And um, shuts down all of our the computers within the store. We can't make any purchases unless we pay someone $2,500 in Bitcoin. Right. I'm probably going to pay the $2,500 in Bitcoin because the cost to me – to figure out this problem, hire someone to come in, help diagnose it, fix it, get back online is going to cost me more money than it would be just to do that. So I I think that those type of attacks are increasingly common and they're easier to do because we have so many things connected to the our you know the internet. Our networks. And um I I think you'll see that on a larger scale, you know, there's been a couple incidences in the past year or two of hospitals of municipalities, you know, like a water company, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yep. get all sh- and yeah. Local governments are getting. I mean, in Alaska, absolutely. where you know I represent in the Senate, the Wasilla Valley. I mean, their whole system got hacked, and they have spent now seven months. And there was a ransom, mm-hmm. and they spent seven months still trying to recreate everything that was lost. Yeah, and or t- you know, locked out of. And so if, you, if you go back to what Greta just said about these municipal attacks, those are test cases of what could occur on a grander scale. Mm-hmm. And while I said that rational actors wouldn't do it because they know the response would be disproportionate. Keyword rational. For example, you, you said this is warfare on another level. Terrorists don't care about disproportionate response. They care about having a successful attack. And so I think we are at risk and the government does have a role to play here um, and ought to – to do more. Do you think is Congress – you mentioned at the beginning that – you know, and, and I know this from serving in, in the U.S. Senate that you have many different levels of understanding of this and some pretty basic, not, not enough to really, in my opinion, sometimes set policy. But they are. Is there legislation that's um, – you know, for example, I know we have, again, clients in Brownstein that come to us and talk to this about this issue. Is there legislation or – things that Congress is attempting to do that could help us here, especially with companies that are some of our clients, but also people listening, that they can take a little hope that the government is recognizing this and going to do something? Is there anything that the White House is doing in this arena? Either one of you want to... Sure. Yeah. No, I, I can talk a little bit about that. You know, I think um, where Congress has been focused, and I think smartly so, is um, you know supply chain security and and doing what they can to ensure that there are not vulnerabilities being created within networks that would give um, easy access towards um, an actor who who doesn't want twenty five hundred dollars who right. just wants to either gather data about um, the U S our companies how we do business here um, or otherwise and you know. Huawei has been a huge focus um, 
of this administration. I think yeah, you saw over the summer the president signed an executive order on supply chain security, and I think that was a really great first step, and it gives the administration the ability to act very quickly should an assessment like that be made um, that that something needs to be done. There was um, also a supply chain security bill that um, got held up at the last month um, because of some concerns raised by by one senator around funding. But, you know, it was a great bipartisan bill that passed. I think there were two people that voted against it in the House and it was, you know, on the hotline in the Senate. So, you know, I've, you know, knock on wood um, that that we'll we'll see that through before the end of this year. But I do think in particular the discussion around Huawei and the vulnerability, the network vulnerability problem has elevated the discussion around cyber broadly on the Hill. And I think that's been very helpful. I don't know if you recall this. I know when I was mayor, we interoperability of communications became a real hot issue because, you know, some people had died because, you know, police couldn't, they were on a different channel, fire was on a different channel, emergency services. And Congress said, okay, we're going to put some resources here. We're going to try to streamline some of the connectivities and FCC, you got to get working on this. And maybe I'm thinking, I mean, maybe I'm out of the loop on this, but I just don't sense that kind of emergency feeling. To me, this seems like it is, but I don't know, I don't necessarily feel that from Congress that that's the kind of level. Is that, right. am I missing it? Or is it just no. that people are kind of like, we're working it, it's complicated, and we got more work to do. I just remember on interoperability, it was like everyone, I mean, first, right. no one ever knew that word existed right. until suddenly, you know, well, they talked 9/11, about Well, until 9-11, right? And unfortunately, exactly it's, it's terrible incidences like that that drive Congress, right? Right. So, you know, I think to date, we haven't had a hacking of a federal entity, mm-hmm. right, that has raised concerns to to that sort of a threat level. But um, there's a number of folks within Congress that are very, very concerned about that. I think has, um, the House Armed Services Committee and the Senate Armed Services are very concerned about that. Tuned into it. Yeah, I think um, DOD is, is as well. And both the Intel, you know, as much talk as there has been around impeachment in Russia, mm-hmm. these are the issues that folks at the Intel committees on in both the House and the Senate work on every day. And I think that luckily we have a lot of really smart people who are doing their best to educate. But I, but I think you're right because interoperability in, until you saw the towers come down and the firemen didn't know because the police couldn't talk to them, right. that that wasn't a thing, right? right. And so I, I think that, you know, God help us if, you know, the IRS gets hacked. But, you know, I, I do think that, you know, as, aside from a, a really serious and scary hacking incident, we, we don't have that level. Do of you it. think we've come, I guess, I'll ask Alan, I have one last question kind of on a bigger international kind of you know, view of is this new cyber war? But first, are we immune? Has the public become immune? Because I know I get off and on, you know, suddenly I get a card in the mail, a new visa, and, you know, I'm wondering why I got it. And then I realize, well, something must have hacked. But I don't think about it that way. I think about, oh, they want me to switch out a card. And, you know, I don't think two seconds about it. Are we becoming immune to the whole issue of cyber security in a way that it may not be give the public push that's necessary to get it to, to the kind of resources that are necessary. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I actually don't think so. I think that in, in that example, you feel protected. Your bank 
brought you got you a new card. Uh, if there was fraud that occurred and charged against your account inappropriately, you know that if you contact them, you'll be able to get it re- the money back. Um, so it's whereas, kind of given a sense of security to me, and I've now internalized it. So therefore, it's kind of like that. It's a, it's a hassle. It's a it's a pain. But yeah. It's not actually. Uh, oh my gosh, we need to do something about yeah. this. I just lost my house because someone. Whereas took it. <laughs> the, in the earlier part of our discussion about you know the blockchain money, four billion dollars, that money's gone. Yeah. And most of those exchanges don't guarantee that they'll replenish it like. Like you a know, bank, take like care of Wells fraud. Fargo, right? Takes care of your bank account, right? Um, and so I do think that as people learn more about this, they will will become more concerned. You know, in terms of the government, one of the things that worries me is that we have a system of, of lots of different jurisdictional entities that have oversight over various pieces of this problem. So the Department of Defense worries about our military and our defense. The Department of Commerce worries about trade and spectrum. The uh, FCC worries about telecommunications. Um, The Homeland Security worries about attacks and terrorism um, and our critical infrastructure. But there's no one entity um, looking at all this together. And similarly, in the Congress, you have congressional committees that oversee parts of these things. That's a recipe for inaction and no coordination rather than coordination. And I think we ought to look at, from a policy perspective, whether we do with cybersecurity what we've done with our intelligence agencies where we try to have more sharing of information so that they can combat our threats more collaboratively and and cooperatively because we may need to get that level of common understanding and purpose to really protect America the way it deserves to be protected. So is that something, you know, over the years, over the decades, you know, at times when there was like back under the Nixon era – there was concern with the environment. There was no department, really, but there was departments taking care of it independently. They kind of melded it into something, and, you know, you like it or not, EPA exists because of that. Are we at a point that there should be that kind of level so there's this kind of coordination, or is it just kind of, you know, someone needs to bring all these people together on a regular basis from the administration standpoint? Is that... Greta and I may have different views. I'm the progressive Democrat. She's the conservative Republican. But my view is government has a Which role is a here. key part of what Brownstein's about. We bring all voices to the table to help our clients. You know, technology doesn't discriminate, Mark. Yeah. It doesn't care whether you're a defense, uh, a, a tank, or an Amazon Alexa. That's right. It can penetrate either. Yeah. And, and our government should, in, in my opinion, have a better handle on it collectively. What do you think about that, Greta? I mean, I, th- I think it's... It's important for the government to understand the risks. I my my concern is always with the government figuring out the solution. And and I I mentioned this earlier, you know, technology moves faster than the federal government. So I think ultimately it's important glaciers for, melting move faster than the right, federal government. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, I I think that Hackers get smarter every day, right? And they're they're always able to, you know, figure out the way around the next problem. So my my concern is always when the feds try to come in and provide a solution for the private sector that ultimately will end up by just giving a blueprint for hackers on how on, on how to hack different things. How to hack it. And so I think um, you know a public private partnership and um, the government working with industry is is the best solution in most instances for these problems. I agree with that. I mean, and and Greta is one hundred percent right, particularly in the technology space. That government solutions typically solve yesterday's problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if we're going to be forward looking, we do need the involvement of the best and brightest minds in industry. 
you almost, you know, in an odd way, you want industry and you want some of the hackers because they know the routes around it. And, you know, as you know, there's a whole industry around that where yeah. hackers get hired by companies to test their own systems. Absolutely. And that's the kind of the mix that you want. Let me end on this. And this has been a very good conversation about cybersecurity, AI, kind of this impacts, and also how Brownstein interacts on this issue and is deep in knowledge on it. But here's a broad kind of, you know, we saw uh, we utilize technology to with uh, striking an Iran uh, general. And do we see this as a potential now, Iran retaliating, not through the traditional way? You know, it used to be you'd go and you'd, you know, honestly, you'd bomb an airport, you'd do this or that, and then someone would respond. Um, you know, they kind of responded the old-fashioned way in a way. But do we think they'll use technology to us or our allies in some way? Um, and will, is this the future? Is this kind of the future positioning of how people will use warfare. I mean, we, we, we did it here. I mean, we not one person landed. I mean, they worked out of Nevada with a couple tools on a, you know, a screen and took out a general in the Iran. First yeah. of all, it's a remarkable testament to our military yeah. that we can achieve uh, uh, that without, as you point out, a single American life being at risk. And precise. I mean... It's, it's incredible. Um, but you're also right that uh, we are, don't have a monopoly on technology and that other countries uh, could see that and think, you know, maybe that's something we could do too. I worry less about that than what I said earlier, which is that weapons come into the hands of folks who don't care about repercussions and reactions. The Iranian regime, as terrible as it is, and they are not – they are an enemy of the United States, is nonetheless – a regime that has to think about its people and is mostly a rational actor, which is why I think you saw a muted response from them. Mm -hmm. But were terrorists to have drones with uh, munis uh, munitions capability or bomb capability or chemical weapon capability, that would be of grave threat. I was talking to someone who used to work in President Trump's National Security Council team uh, last November, and she told me that uh, while the Defenses around the White House are incredibly intense um, against common threats. They're not well set up to repel drones. Mm -hmm. And so you can envision bad, scary scenarios where drones, whether it's the Capitol, the White House, the Pentagon, or other critical infrastructure, could get pretty close to targets without anyone even noticing it. And so that does concern me. And again, uh, technology doesn't discriminate, and we better be smart about it um, or else um, – you know, hopefully I'm wrong about this, but we can pay some consequences. So basically, we should deploy in Sigurd service uh, really good duck hunters. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that tells me. Exactly. That's uh, a whole different ballgame. Well, first off, uh, to both Al and Greta, thank you. You know, the Brownstein team, I think this again shows the depth of knowledge, but also just the kind of bipartisanship that we bring to the, the issues. And this issue is never going away. It's here now. It's going to be growing. AI will be a big part of it. All these other uh, drones and other things that are attached to it. And I think we uh, are here and ready to help people. But also, hopefully, this gave some additional information to people on the concerns and the issues that are facing Congress, but also the country around these issues. So thank you both for being here. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.